the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program was pre-recorded, and the views expressed do not necessarily represent those of this station or its management. We don't need no education. We don't need no thoughts control. Get ready to take notes, because school is now in session. Tackling the biggest issues in education, this is Education America. Save the classroom, save the country. Here are your hosts, Headmaster Rebecca Hagstrom and co-host Abigail Johnson. Welcome to Education America, where we're working to save the classroom so that we can save the country. K-12 education is the playing field where the battle is on for the future of our country. And as the 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, succinctly stated, the philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation will be the philosophy of government in the next. Well, it's great to be with our listeners. And Abigail, we always have so much fun. We drove over together again today, which we don't always get to do. Yep. But we always have a great time. We always end up in a big discussion. We're saving. Oh, serving, we do. Uh, what am I trying to say? Solving the world's problems. Yes. <laughs> Just give us all the power. There we go. Yeah, thank there you. we go. Thank you. Thank you, yeah. John. Thank Just you. Just give us all yes, the power yes. for a short period of time. We'll fix everything. Yeah. <laughs> It'll all be great. Just, just, just trust us. Yeah, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. We got this. <laughs> well, we're going to take a turn tonight, aren't we? We from, are um, from a typical show where we often have guests. So maybe Abigail, you can introduce our topic. Yes. So we thought Rebecca and I really thought it would be lovely to just go, kind of go back and go up, shall we say? Um, we often are really getting into the weeds and details about what's going on in education, how things are changing. And we thought it would be helpful to to pull back and pan back a little bit and think about what is the purpose of education? Mm-hmm. Because if you really think about that for a minute, it's actually a bit more complex than one would think. And especially if you're a new parent, mm-hmm. you know, you're maybe not quite ready to think that long and hard and that's okay. We'll, we'll do the thinking for you. Hopefully you'll hear a few things today that are useful as you think about, you know, how would you like your child to be educated and what is the purpose of education? But that question really does drive educational philosophy. And then it drives what's happening in the classroom. And really, we are seeing a lot of changes in education in what is the purpose? So we mm-hmm. thought, you know what? This is fun. Let's talk about this yeah. a little bit more. So we hope you all find that interesting and gives you some some things to chew on a bit. Mm-hmm. As you think about that and you look at your own family and think about what are your goals and what works best for mm-hmm. you all out there. Well, and I think it's really common amongst families today to think about, well, I can answer that question. I think the purpose of education is to, you know, create good citizens and people who are going to be able to go to college and get a good job. And I think that's where a lot of people end their thought about education. And the problem with that 
thinking, which is really where our whole society has shifted in in our public school realms. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, their goal, which isn't a bad goal, by no, the way, to, not at all. to want kids to be able to go to college and, and get a good job is an, is an important element of raising a child. We want citizens who are going to be productive and yes. contributing members of society. Um, but I think what happens when we get so zeroed in on career pathways or getting into college and career, um, we forget the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And we, we, as in you and I, Abigail, and our school, Liberty Classical Academy, talk often about educating the whole person, mm-hmm. heart, soul, and the mind. And without educating and addressing kind of all elements of a person, and we, if we get so singularly focused on what are they going to do go to college, what job are they going to do? We forget about the virtues and we forget yeah. about what makes a human being um, a, a kind <laughs> and loving person. And you look at our culture right now and the screaming and the diversity, or not the diversity, the, the dysfunction mm-hmm. in talking with one another. It seems like there's not... Um, a, there's a lack of respect that is happening in mm-hmm. our culture. And I think some of this is coming from the fact that our educational focus, the purpose of education, the philosophy of education has changed so much in the last 50 years, 10 years, and even five years. Yes. And and we're shifting away from really educating that whole person and um Wanting them to embrace values of respect, kindness. People say that, but if it's not part of the education that the child's receiving, then it's not going to be important to them. Mm-hmm. And uh, an education in a school setting, um, and that's, this is harder too, because we don't, we no longer have common set of values that our, that our country all agrees on the yes. way we did back in, you know, the fifties and sixties and even probably, uh, seventies. Um, so the more, the more dichotomy we see in our culture about what is important and what do we value, the harder it is, I think, for public school teachers to even navigate that. And I, I feel sorry for teachers, honestly, trying to navigate that in public schools. How do we have, how do we teach values when there's no agreed upon set of values anymore well, the way there used to be? Or there are agreed upon sets of values, but they are constantly changing. Yes. The values mm-hmm. of, you know, five years ago are not the values of today. Right, right. And it's based on a shifting, shifting sand of public opinion, really. Yeah. So. I absolutely agree. I think that Mm -hmm. it is very difficult for educators in that environment to figure out, you know, they, they're, they have pure motives, but how do they actually play that out on a day-to-day basis? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. While again, with that lack of commonality with, you know, what does, frankly, what does being nice, what does being kind, what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, immediately when you said that one Mm -hmm. thing that has been really fascinating for me, and again, With a legal background, it was, uh, you know, you really start thinking about terms, Mm -hmm. define your terms, define Mm -hmm. your definitions. And, you know, we've had on such excellent guests that will help with a wide variety of those things. But talking about even I was listening to a wonderful intellectual talk about really the difference between um, and I think he was talking about more in a faith context, but the difference between being nice 
and being kind. Mm-hmm. I try to use the word kind versus nice, but, but it doesn't but, always work. But and yes. it, and mm-hmm. unless you, because you think, oh, mm-hmm. those are the same. But mm-hmm. then when you think about the definitions and go back and read oh, the definitions, you're going, oh, those are actually two very different things. Very different. And so mm-hmm. I do think that that's very difficult for educators mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. these definitions are changing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, words that we thought were meant one thing 15 years ago. Now it's been given an entirely yeah. different meaning. So yeah. as a mm-hmm. school founder, Rebecca, yeah. as you're thinking yeah. about that, as you are thinking about what is the goal of education and how much it's changed, what is it that classical education strives mm-hmm. to do? Mm-hmm. What is the purpose? Well, in our case, I mean, from a classical perspective alone, the goal is really to help kids learn to teach teach and learn on their own, right? Mm-hmm. That is the goal, is that they would be able to know how to think deeply and how to learn on their own and how to be able to communicate very effectively and persuasively, regardless of what type of career they go into. But when you add the Christian element onto it, which we are, classical and Christian, the goal is really to bring glory to God. Mm -hmm. That is the ultimate goal of an education, is that we want our students to use everything that they are being gifted at Liberty Classical Academy. They are being given incredible tools to learn how to write extraordinarily well, Mm -hmm. um, how to analyze and synthesize information, how to speak persuasively, how to think logically, um, and not get... um, fooled by fallacies. Yes. I mean, there there is so much fallacy in our culture today, particularly around the topic of politics and culture. Mm-hmm. And to be able to have students that know how to just kind of discern yes. truth from error, um, to not be snowed by a simple straw man argument, um, how to not follow along with a crowd mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes intentional effort. And that yes. is what a classical education does. And it does that, especially in the middle and upper school years, through lots of deep discussion and debate and lots of time with those teachers guiding and directing their students, forcing them to think more deeply. Yep. And, you know, if you're just caught up in a more modern, and I would actually argue traditional, people sometimes think classical is traditional. Mm. Actually, most people's mind thought, where their thought process goes when you talk about a traditional education, I think they think about lots of worksheets, sitting in your seat, lecture, um, spit it out on a test. That is what I think most people think of when they think of traditional. Classical is everything but that. Yep. Um, our students are up and around in the lower school, you know, singing and chanting and doing motions and, <laughs> and they're learning the chemical elements through a song in third grade. I mean, you know, it, it's, it is the, the farthest thing from boring. Uh, yes. the kids just love it. And yes, there is memorization and yes, there is repetition, but it's done in ways that the kids love. They don't even realize that they're learning in some respects. And yet the, the elements of what they're learning is so rich. The foundation that we're placing is so strong. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when you get up into those middle and upper school years, they're able to take that 
and go deeper, you know, in the logic mm-hmm. stage. They're asking why. They're asking how. And so what do we do? We give them lots and lots of opportunity to research and to yes. question and to ask the question why and ask the question how. Well, can I stop you with that? Yeah. Because I'm going, oh, my gosh, I have to tell you this. Okay, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Please that was do. really loud for everyone. Here. <laughs> but here's the thing. So, you know, great examples of this really both in that lower school stage and then how it plays out as children grow that I feel like every time I walk down the halls of our school, I learn something new. Mm. And I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, weirdly enough, I'm not a newbie there anymore. (laughs) Like I've been around a while here. Classical education, you know, this is what I do for a living, folks. Yes, she's our admissions director. (laughs) (laughs) And every time I just go, oh my gosh, this is so great. So Uh, But one of the things that I love chatting with parents about that I see this every day in the classroom, but also this is, I see this when my kids come home and Mm -hmm. they are talking about, okay, let's, that's not true. To be clear, when they are arguing about things, that's, (laughs) that's more accurate. (laughs) And, but what they end up arguing about that I think, oh my gosh, I love this. Mm-hmm. They are all in this in varying various stages of either learning to read, they've become very accomplished readers. We've got middle stage readers in our house and we have very new stage mm-hmm. readers in our house. And so you I'm watching the olders with the youngers as the youngers are trying to figure out how to pronounce a word. Mm-hmm. And then they end up arguing about what rule, what grammatical <laughs> rule makes the letters make the sound it makes so it's pronounced X or Y way. Yes. But what here, but here's yeah. what I love about that. They are not going, I just think it's supposed to be this way. Yes. They are using things. Now they might be using them incorrectly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're using rationale. Mm-hmm. They're using data. They're using these rules. Mm-hmm. And that is what I love. And I love explaining that to parents. And I love experiencing it as a parent is... We're helping kids understand that there's a reason why mm-hmm. this this goes the way that it goes, why this word is pronounced the way that it's pronounced, why mm-hmm. we structure this sentence this mm-hmm. way. And that is such a classical approach is you don't need to guess. Right. Um, you know, we could debate. Now, in the grammar stage, that's not really debatable. No. But they're literally using, you know, phonemic rules, grammatical rules to debate on, you know, is that a ghost E? I don't know. Well, that's a trigraph. So, and I'm just sitting, once again, sitting there going, we're a really strange family. Yeah. <laughs> and keep in mind, mm-hmm. Abigail's oldest child is only in fourth grade. Yes. So and these are so really these are young, young children that have learned phonemic wa- rules and um, spelling rules and grammatical rules. And they are using that. I love that. And actually, that ties into one of the things I was going to talk about. Mm-hmm. When we talk about philosophy of education, you know, modern education, I would argue that there's a lack of philosophy of education. Mm-hmm. The goal mm-hmm. seems to only be driven by whatever career needs there are. And you see states often doing surveys. In fact, we just got sent this survey ourselves. You know, how many employees do you think you're going to be needing over the next 10 years? Because we're trying to set our state's, um, you know, labor needs. And then they try to dictate that to the public schools in terms of we're going to need more of this. We're going to need more of that. And the universities as well. And <clears throat> while there's a place for that to a degree, it shouldn't be driving the philosophy of education. Because mm-hmm. what should be driving the philosophy of education is what sort of citizens do we want? 
Yes. What sort of people, I ask parents that, what kind of person do you want your child to be when they're 30, 40, mm-hmm. 50 years old? And and is the education meeting that? And if it's not addressing the heart, soul, mind, all three, yep. um, it's likely not hitting the mark. Mm-hmm. And that modern philosophy of education just focuses in on learning content, quick learn this content, take a quick AP, you know, a shallow, D, a shallow, an inch deep, a mile wide AP class, or take, you know, quick, 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 go through clubbing or whatever, get this credit so that you can get credit in college and, and then you can graduate sooner. And it's all about speed. It seems mm-hmm. like, you know, Americans are really focused in on, you know, fast tracking everything. We yes. we like fast food. We want our Starbucks really quickly. If we have to wait in line too long, we're, we're frustrated. And granted, with college being so expensive, there is that economic Absolutely. aspect that is very real. And I recognize that. I really do. Um, but the point being is when you think about some of the um, people that you know that you admire the most, um, they're probably pretty accomplished people who probably mm-hmm. didn't rush their education, who probably have more than just content knowledge. They probably yep. have a lot of character. They probably have a lot of integrity. And and in, in, in my case, people I really admire are people who are strong in their faith as well. Mm-hmm. And And you can't get that fast. You can't rush through that. And you have to be intentional. And that's what I love about classical education is it's intentional from preschool all the way through 12th grade. There is an intentionality to every phase from the pre-grammar to the grammar to the logic to the rhetoric. It all builds on itself. Whereas if you ask uh, a superintendent or a principal of even some of the private schools, what is your philosophy of education? You're probably going to get a lot of kind of mumbo jumble mm-hmm. um, because that just doesn't seem to be emphasized as being important. But that then what happens is you get a mishmash yes. and you don't have a standard. So for instance, in our case, one of our important standards is we teach history mm-hmm. and we want them to know history because we believe in order to develop excellent citizens, they need to know how did America form? What was unique about it? What makes it special? And if we don't take the time to really focus in on teaching history and we use primary documents rather than a, a textbook where you can you know, have to rely on the author's interpretation of history, and we know through 1619 Project and Black Lives Matter curriculum that there's a lot of changing of history to reflect a narrative that isn't necessarily true history. And if history isn't your primary goal, if that's not a goal, then it's easy to get pulled off in those mm-hmm. directions. And in, instead, what seems to be the primary goal today is diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is then usurping what the primary purpose of education that I think even most Americans would agree to, which is we want an educated citizenry. And we aren't just looking for kids who are activists with a certain uh, mindset. Um, we we want kids to be able to think. Yes. And um, so having a philosophy of education, it's like a, it's like a guiding star mm-hmm. um, that, that kind of, Everything aligns 
under that guiding star of what is your philosophy of education. So if your philosophy is we want to create activist um, individuals who are going to kind of upend uh, Western civilization or American culture as we know it, um, then you're going to educate a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, but if your goal is to create citizens who know how to think and can have respectful debate, respectful dialogue, you're going to educate in a different way. Well, and let's even take that even down just a little bit. Even if you were to say the philosophy of our school is to help create good people. Yeah, what is good? Okay. And 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 that's not I mean I I would hope most schools would, you know, say something along I those lines. I would hope lines. so. I would hope so. Yes. And, and and that's and, and I'm not in any way trying to to criticize that, but if you think more deeply, then you have to ask but what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Create good people. Well, what is what is your definition of good? Then you have to ask what well, what is your definition based on? Yeah. And does that definition change over time based on a conglomeration of public opinion? Is it based on even timeless classical works of literature? You could even say, but they're secular in nature. Or you can take then a faith perspective. Or is that based on the Bible, you know, mm-hmm. or, or another religious another document? document? You could yeah. so but mm-hmm. But there's so much philosophy, even in that one statement, that really, unless you start thinking more deeply about that, you go, wait, that actually doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. Because one person's definition of, and I think we're seeing this yeah, everywhere. We're seeing it play out right one now. One person's definition of what is a good person mm-hmm. varies widely yeah. from school to school, from even family to family. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to them? Um, and so I do love that about a classical education is is it, it at least teaches, it doesn't teach our students, ask that question and oh, by the way, the answer is this. Mm-hmm. No, but it would stop them and they'd go, wait a minute, we need to define our terms first mm-hmm. and we need to figure out what those definitions are based on before we can then engage in a philosophical discussion because there's actually a lot to that whereas those that haven't been you know cultivated that critical thinking skill goes Mm -hmm. oh yeah i mean i want my child to be a good person just like you want your child to be a good person Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. but what does that mean right you're right there's a lot of variation in that definition and and that also your point about cultivating critical thinking i think it's such a thrown around term critical thinking it's it's even that needs to be defined Mm -hmm. Um, because I think every school would say that they are developing critical thinking skills in their students but what I think we have to look at is what does critical thinking really mean critical means to critical critically look at a an idea Mm-hmm. And that means you're looking at it through multiple lenses. Mm-hmm. That's what critical thinking is. And if your if your child isn't being taught to look at ideas <clears throat> through multiple lenses, then they're not really developing critical thinking. Mm-hmm. And that is another part of the classical method that I just love because 
they are exposed to all the other philosophies of the world. We are classical Christian, but still our students are given exposure and time to discuss all the different philosophies of the world, especially when they get up into the middle, but especially the high school years in their junior year history, they learn about all of the Enlightenment philosophers and Mm -hmm. what do they believe and what do they represent. And what I love about that is that they understand then that there are differing viewpoints. And while their viewpoint might be a Christian worldview, they learn to respect other viewpoints because they're being exposed to them. Mm -hmm. And they're being taught where those viewpoints come from. So again, even if they don't agree that, because there are many things in which we're not going to agree and that's fine. But when you understand, okay, they're taking this particular, you know, they're viewing something through this particular lens. And when you know the history behind that, if if it's something that does have a historical connotation, Mm -hmm. but a lot of things, like you said, in philosophy, Mm -hmm does have you know it has a history and so then you do come to a deeper understanding at least of the other person Mm -hmm. um with oh i again i don't see it that way however you can more deeply understand where someone is coming from when you know the history of you know their position Mm -hmm. which again i think is absolutely incredible yeah well and that not only develops the critical thinking but it develops the mutual respect Mm -hmm. and we do the same thing with the various world religions Um, we make sure that our students at liberty are exposed and and this is part of a classical philosophy this isn't just our school this Mm -hmm. is classical philosophy of education is that you would expose students also to the major world religions and and not just straw man versions of those by the way Mm -hmm. but actual understanding of what do these other um, world religions adherents really believe Mm -hmm. and obviously because we're a christian school once again we're going to be comparing that to what does a Christian worldview teach Mm -hmm. and helping the students discern the differences. But again, then if they go off to college or even in a workplace setting, they are working side by side on a team with um, people of other world religions. They have an immediate respect for them rather than any type of a fear or a disdain. Um, And, and I think it's just so important for developing respect in a culture and, I think we've just really gotten away from that in our culture. It just seems that respect for differing viewpoints is no longer considered integrity or character. It's, it's almost like it's a negative um, to, to, to not have um, mutual respect for people. And you're able to build that common bond or a bond of, excuse me, a bond of commonality. Yes. Because again, there are going to be things that, we will never agree on a wide variety of topics. So what is best for society is, well, let's, where we can build, you know, consensus, mm-hmm. we should do so. Absolutely. Because then again, it you're humanizing the other person that you are in conversation with. Mm-hmm. You're humanizing another way to view the world. And again, that doesn't mean acceptance or encouragement right. or endorsement. But it, what it does mean is this person has worth, and I can 
look at, we may disagree on 90% of things, but man, I'm going to take that 10% where we do agree Mm -hmm. and try to build a bridge. Absolutely. Because, I mean, my goodness, we could really use a lot of that right now. Oh, we need it so desperately. (laughs) We need it so desperately. And in, in, in this um, country, you know, we are all Americans. And I know there's a lot of people that don't even really want to focus on nationality. But the reality is we do live in a country that has a constitution and and we need to find our commonality. We mm-hmm. need to work together for the betterment of society because we've got the future to consider for all of yes. our children. And we don't want to bring them into uh, such dysfunction, right? We want them to come into a place where they know that they're loved and accepted and they can they can maximize their gifts and talents. So if you want yes. to basically help reduce polarization in the United States, educate your child cha- classically. That's what we're saying. I love it. That's exactly <laughs> what we're saying. Exactly. Well, this has been fun, Abigail. We always enjoy our little conversational radio programs um, but we enjoy bringing in our guests as well so we hope you enjoyed this conversation tonight and listen to this podcast at Spotify or iTunes or anywhere else. See you next week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.